Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with freedom through faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hallelujah! Hello everyone everywhere. This is Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Glory to God. We're so glad that you could join us today. We're so glad that we can rejoice in the Lord this day. Thank you, Father, for the blessings that you've given to us. Thank you, Lord, for taking care of our every need. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being our Lord and our Savior. Thank you, Lord, for the technology that allows us to come by the Internet through the whole world simultaneously. Oh, thank you, Lord. Let's go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you praise, honor, and glory. We thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you gave Jesus for the whole world. Jesus, we thank you that you are our Lord and our Savior. And Lord, through the technology that you have blessed us with, your word is going forth right now throughout the entire planet, touching people's hearts and changing their lives. Your word says it does not return to you void, but accomplishes what you please and prospers where you send it. Therefore, Lord, we give you all the honor, glory, and praise this day that hearts would be touched, souls would be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Get out your Bibles and turn to Revelations chapter 12 and also hold your finger there and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 because that's what we're going to be reading from here in a second. But first, let's recite our statement of faith. We do this each and every Sunday on this broadcast, just to lay the solid foundation upon which we're going to build. Amen. Just repeat these words after me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. And the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended up into heaven and sits now at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he shall return soon to judge the living 
and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe that the church is the body of Christ. I believe in the communion of saints. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. I believe in the resurrection of the body. And I believe in life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Glory to God. Now, have you found Revelations chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 16 yet? Well, go ahead and flip over there. I'll wait. You see, we've been in a study about revival in America. And we've already covered the facts that before the blessing comes, judgment always comes first. We've studied how America has fallen from being a great nation, one that believed in God and His Son, Jesus the Messiah or Christ, as the English-speaking world calls Him. We studied last week about the need for revival in America. Today, I want to go over some things that are hindering revival from coming to America. It's not an impossibility for revival, but there are some things that must be taken care of before we can experience revival. Now, don't get me wrong, I firmly believe that we are on the precipice of a a great end-time revival, not just in America, but around the world. Amen? Glory to God. But America will have a part in this revival, in this end-time harvest of souls. We will be involved. Glory to God. But how large a role America will play, how large a role the churches in America will play, how large a role you will play, all of that depends on how you prepare yourself and your church and your community and this nation for revival. Amen? Okay, did you find Revelation chapter 12? And I want you to look at verse 11. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, we'll look at verse 9. I'll read these two verses together. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Now, in the book of 1 Corinthians 69, it says, For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. There are many hindrances to what the Bible-believing churches are trying to do in America today. If you're not aware of that, I hope that you will be before we finish today. Amen. We should not take this challenge lightly at all. I do not want to go on without you completely understanding that this is warfare and that the warfare is going on in this nation and it's spiritual warfare. If there is one thing that I understand, it's this that my adversary is not just flesh and blood. I did not come here today to fight the hierarchy of the community or the preachers and the leaders of churches or your ministerial association committees and all that. I'm not come here to fight with you or to argue with you. Our fight is with spiritual wickedness. Where? 
in high places. And unfortunately, these wicked spirits have come down and invaded churches all across this land. As well as all of the elements of the government across this nation. In Ephesians 16, 12, I just alluded to that scripture. It says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Matter of fact, that's the mission statement of our Mission for America outreach. Amen. We travel to the geographic extreme locations of this land, easternmost, southernmost, you know, midpoint, and all those, all these locations. Funds allow, we'd like to take at least one Mission for America trip per year, but we go to these extreme geographic locations and pray for America. The Lord said we're effectively closing those gates in those extreme areas, symbolically speaking, around this nation. Amen. But this Ephesians 16, 12 is our mission statement for that. Anyway, that's talking about warfare. It is our warfare. And don't take for granted the spiritual warfare that's ours. But having said that, I want to say to you right now, that having been saved by grace, full of the Holy Spirit of the Most High God, that we have overcoming power to defeat every single demon of hell that would try to stick their ugly heads up against the work the church is called to do. Amen. And I want to preach on this subject today, overcoming power, to the hindrances of revival in America. Amen? In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, Paul just told us there are many adversaries. Anytime a child of God sets out to do something for the Lord, there is always going to be obstacles in the way. Anytime a church begins to seek God in a revival, there will always be obstacles in the way. You dare not trample on the ground of Satan, the one who has a stronghold in this world. We dare not trample on his ground without being prepared to face him head on. Amen? Let me say this very carefully to you right now. I am not magnifying the power of the devil in any way. But what I'm trying to make you aware of are some of his snares and his tricks. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 26, we read, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay in wait as he that sets snares. They set a trap. They catch men. You know, you've probably seen some headlines of fallen pastors in the news. The devil laid a trap and got his man. And then, just as Jesus paraded Satan around in hell, showing all the demons that Satan had been defeated, 
that Jesus is now King of Kings, Lord of Lords, that Jesus took all the power of the enemy, all the keys of hell, death, and the grave. Jesus conquered every single bit of it and paraded Satan around so all of the little demons could see it. When Satan traps a man of God, he will also trap him around so that all the other people can see it and question the validity of God's word. That's all Satan is trying to do is get you to doubt the word of God. Well, if he fell and he's such a great man of God, what does that mean for little old me? See, that's the trick. That's what he's trying to do. Amen. Glory. Hallelujah. Jesus overcame all of that. Most folks who fill the average church pew do not know what real spiritual warfare is. I mean, their concept of spiritual warfare is the refrigerator breaking and they lose all their food or the washing machine quits right in the middle of a load or they're going to an appointment and they have a flat tire on a car. Most of them would say something like, boy, the devil's really been hot on my trail today. But folks, I want to tell you, and I'm saying this in love, okay, don't write me no angry letters, but that is not spiritual warfare. But when a child of God hits his head on uh, trying to rescue the perishing and care for the dying and and trying to find spiritual power, trying to seek the fullness of God in their lives, trying to clean themselves to make them a fit vessel for God, you better mark it down. There are going to be obstacles in their path. The devil is going to raise his old ugly head and he's going to try and use whatever he can to trip you up. And you can rest assured, you can take this to the bank. You are no match for the devil. He'll outdo you every time. Unless, glory, hallelujah, you are a born-again, spirit-filled, Bible-believing child of God. Hallelujah. Shout amen, somebody. Greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. Hallelujah. I dare not stand here and make a rallying accusation against the devil, for I have no power to defeat him in myself apart from the power of the Son of God, Jesus Christ himself, who's already defeated the devil, has already stripped him of his power. Amen. I have no power in myself. For I'm created lower than the angels. Satan has more power than me as a man. Satan has more power than you as a human being, man or woman. What are you saying, Brother Bob? You're so negative. No, 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 I'm not. I'm just trying to be honest with you. I cannot defeat Satan 
in myself. But I don't have to hang my head down low. I don't have to take a back seat to worrying about that or biting my fingernails because my older brother, Jesus, has already defeated him at Calvary. Amen. You see, Satan is going about as a roaring lion. It didn't say he was a roaring lion. He's acting as a roaring lion. Seeking whom he may devour. People have to say, they have to do something. Something to give the devil permission to devour them. Amen. But I'm glad to report to you today that God Almighty is on his throne. And Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Amen. Ever to make intercession for us when all we have to do is pray. Glory to God. And the devil doesn't like it when God's people begin to get serious about God's word. The devil doesn't care if you have a little singing here and preaching there. The devil doesn't discourage that at all. I will tell you, the devil is not upset when you have your little fellowship meetings and your little ladies' luncheons. That doesn't frighten him. The devil is not upset when you start a building committee to build this big mega church. It's not concerned with that at all. Amen? But when God's people begin to get unified and in one mind and in one accord and begin to pray for the Holy Ghost power and begin to seek God for Holy Spirit-led revival, I tell you, the devil will begin to get nervous. He'll stick up his head. He'll try to discourage you. He'll throw things in your path trying to trip you up. But I'm glad, praise God, that greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. Amen. Shout amen, somebody. Glory to God. Now, when God's children nail the door shut on their prayer closet, refusing to come out, and they start praying for the lost, they start praying for the perishing, they start caring for the dying, seeking the lost, trying to get the unchurched into church, let them start making phone calls or personal visitation and get concerned for their next door neighbors and then ask God for good old Holy Ghost sin-hating devil-fighting revival. Then you'll see the devil get nervous and riled up and he'll raise his ugly head again and again trying to discourage you again and again. But again, I'm glad, thank God, that greater is he that's in us that's in this world. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, the Bible tells us that there is a lot of hindrances in this thought of revival that we're talking about today. When I study the Word of God, there's a lot of things that I see that will bring hindrance to revival. And I just want to give you a few of them really quick. One, when you start seeking God for revival, the first hindrance that's hard to overcome, now this will hurt some of your feelings, is a hindrance of pride. 
There is the hindrance of pride in this nation and among churches in this land. That's going to cause the efforts of revival to be hindered and actually stopped right in its tracks. There is no place for pride in the cause of revival from God. There's no place for pride in the house of God. For there are no big shots in the eyes of God. None. No big shots in God's kingdom. There are no big folks that can boast about great works. We are all just a bunch of saved sinners. Sinners who's had their debt paid by Jesus. Sinners who should have gone to hell if it were not for the grace of God. There's nobody in listening to me today that is greater in God's eyes than anybody else. I don't care if you got a doctor or a PhD by your name, or if you even have 20 theological degrees. It does not matter what school you went to, what Bible college you went to, if you even went to Bible college. It does not matter. It doesn't matter if you drive a Lincoln Town car or a Hyundai that's blowing smoke like a bug sprayer going down the highway. I'm telling you that when we go to cavalry and we find our way to heaven through Jesus our Savior, there's no difference between any of us. Amen? You're no better than me. I'm no better than you. We're not better than the next guy. You can take Billy Graham and put him right next to Joe the drunk on the street who just received Jesus as his Savior, and in God's eyes, they're equal. They're his children. Heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus of all things. Joint heir means you get an equal share. Glory to God. So there is no big shots in heaven. You know, you hear some of these people talking about, you know, oh, he's got a big mansion when he gets to heaven. That means that there are rankings in heaven. That means that God looks more favorably on some folks than other folks, which means now God is being prejudicial, which means God's not being fair, which means that you, know, you get the idea. Folks, when we get to heaven, all we're going to be doing is shouting praises to God, thanking Jesus for saving us. And that's enough. You're there. You made it. Knowing that for all of eternity, you'll be in heaven, not hell. Because those that refuse to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and reject the counsel of God, reject the word of God, reject the preachers of God, they wish they could have one more chance to receive Jesus as their Savior. And over and over and over and over in their minds while they're in hell will be 
every chance they had to ask Jesus into their heart, and they said no. All of eternity, they'll realize the 35 chances they had, or whatever number it might be, and they rejected it for temporary human pleasure. That's the great travesty. Amen? Hallelujah. When we get to cavalry, and we get to heaven, and there's no difference between any of us. It's going to be the say, or by the same way each and every person from Peter through Joe the drunk out on the street got there. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. You see, old spiritual pride is a hindrance to revival. Whenever we start looking at ourselves in a way that's not Christ-like, we start looking at ourselves as something we are not. You see, here is the strange thing about revival. Whenever a person has revival, he'll see himself like God sees him. Most of us really have a higher opinion of ourselves than we deserve. Most of us will judge ourselves by others. We say, well, I'm not as bad as that other guy or as those other people are. I'm not as bad as this crowd over there. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, and he goes to church. And then we pick out someone that we think is not up to our standard, as we think. We'll say, I'm not as bad as that other crowd or person, but I want you to know God does not judge us by others. He only judges us by his only son, Jesus. When you begin to compare yourself to him, I can guarantee you, you're going to come up with the short end of the stick every single time. And he will judge you also by his word, who is Jesus, by the way. And I say that sinful pride has no place in revival. The thing that's going to keep revival from coming to America or to American churches in the, the coming days is going to be pride. You see that in churches now. What's one of the first things? You meet a fellow believer or at some point in a conversation, you know, maybe it's, uh, hey, can you meet us for golf Sunday? Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, I go to church. I get out of church at 12. What time are we looking at hooking up? Oh, you go to church? Well, number one, that's a dead giveaway right there. Why would they ask, oh, you go to church? That means you're living your life as if you didn't go to church. Amen? So, they ask, Oh, you go to church? I go to such and such church. You know, the one with the pastor that's on TV and, you know, all that. And when you tell them you're going to a little community church, you know, with a no-name pastor, they look at you like, oh, how do you feel now? See, they go to a church, a big mega church. There's 6,000 people in attendance. And you go to a church that has 15 people? 
Why don't you come on over to our church? See? They're trying to lift themselves up just because of where they go to church. It does not matter. Now, it does matter if your church is a dead church or a living church. And we'll get into more of that. That part does matter. But anyway, God is only going to judge you by the word. The Bible says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And there will not be a revival coming to your house until you humble yourself before the very presence of God. In 2 Chronicles 7.14, we know the verse, If my people, those called by God's name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive their sin then I will heal their land. There are prerequisites required before God will forgive the sin, heal the land. God won't even hear your prayers, he says, until you humble yourself. Number one, call on, well, call on his name, humble themselves, pray, and seek his face. You see, there was a time when people would go to God's house and they would come seeking to hear from God. We did not all need all these comfortable pews and nice choir robes and fancy chandeliers and loud music and lattes out in the lobby. People just came to get a word from the Heavenly Father and to worship him in spirit and in truth. But now the choir has to be just right. The band has to be just right. The temperature has to be just right. The time has to be just right. The seats have to be just right. And that preacher better not get long-winded I mean, the football is going to start pretty soon and we have to get home. See, it's nothing but sinful, hurtful pride that is diminishing the power of God and hindering revival in our churches and in our life. Many church people, <laughs> they're very proud. There's that word again. Very proud of their little preacher. Oh, he is so eloquent in the pulpit. He's so good looking. Every hair is in place. His suit it doesn't have one wrinkle in it. They go to a particular church because the preacher there is famous or on TV. Now, oh, they do not participate in any outreaches or extra things because that takes away their time. And they say, oh, there are others who will do all that. You know, they're called. They're called to do that. That's not my calling. My calling is to pay my little bit to attend worship and just clap when the pastor has a funny uh, story to tell. or Hogwash. 
when asked, what church do you go to, though? Oh, they're quick to say, I'm a member of such and such church. And they do it with a prideful look. You know, the, the pastor so-and-so, he's on TV. Have you watched him lately? You should come to our church. And they say it with such pride. What we need to do is get our eyes off of the preacher and on the great I am. We will never have a touch of God in revival until we get rid of that old sinful pride. Pride is an obstacle, a great obstacle to revival. You see, I believe America is too proud today to have revival. I believe American churchgoers are too proud to have an attitude for God. I, ugh, the people of God have no use for pride in their walk with him. For none of us are better than any other person. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. It seems as though we've gotten to the point that we think we don't need God anymore. <gasps> Brother Bob, what'd you just say? I'll say it again. In America, we have come to the point where America thinks they do not need God anymore. We pay more attention to our stocks and bonds and 401ks and our bank balances than we do to God. We have good jobs, homes that are nice, trying to make it on easy street. Where we tell God, I'll be able to give more to the church after this happens. I'll be able to help out more. We have our friends that we run with, our little cliques. We may be members of committees or city councils or whatever in our cities that try to do social work. We drive nice cars. We have boats that we go out on on the weekend. We have insurance policies in case we need to go to the doctor or something happens. We can get things fixed. We have drugs that help us quit smoking or lose weight or to concentrate better. We have medicine that keeps our blood pressure down, keeps our cholesterol in check, pain medicine for when we get hurt. We have virtually a drug for just about everything, and everyone is taking them by the handfuls every day. Amen? And then we wonder why our children are becoming addicted to drugs. It's because we turn to man to heal our ills instead of God. And that's what our kids see. So whenever they feel down or whenever they want to have fun, they try to find a drug that'll do that too. Can't you see that? We have gotten to the point where Americans feel they no longer have a need for God. Oh, they'll acknowledge him, usually on Sundays. But check the parking lot Sunday night or Wednesday night. Maybe 25% of the people that were there Sunday morning. Why? Because we were too busy. We got to the point where we think we don't need God and we don't think we need revival either. We think everything is okay. We think that as long as nobody preaches on our little sins, we don't need to repent. But we are like the church of the Laodiceans. We are wretched, miserable, and poor, blind and naked. We're so blind, we can't see our nakedness. 
We're so blind we can't see our need. May God take pride out of our hearts and show us what we really are. We're full of old sinful pride and it's going to be a hard hindrance to overcome. But if you want true revival, you must get rid of it. You see, you see signs that say, you know, proud to be an American. And if you preach judgment is coming to America, people get mad. If you preach that God is removing the hedge of protection around the borders of this land and judgment, deserved judgment, is coming. Oh, you can't preach that. That might upset some people. And if they get upset, they may stop giving. And if they stop giving, I can't have my television program anymore because I won't be able to afford it. So no, we're not going to preach that. I am sick and tired of going to these preachers' meetings where all the, every... Should I say this, Lord? Okay, I'll say it nice. Amen. I was going to uh, name names, but I won't do that. I will just, in a general way, and if you can put two and two together, you'll come up with four. There are preachers who, especially towards the end of the year, will give a prophecy about what's coming the next year. And in 100% of these prophecies, it declares blessings, goodness, prosperity, healings, all these blessings that are going to come upon this land and upon you because you are part of our ministry and if you will only believe, God will bless you and your household. Now, get out your pocketbooks and give an offering and tell God how much you believe that. I've seen it. I've seen it. And I'm sick and tired of it. God is not moved by pride. Israel believed that their nation and their temple would endure forever, that any enemy that came against them, God would supernaturally destroy. Because obviously, if this is God's house, this is his temple, he will never allow any foreign person ever to come near it. And then they learned that when the Babylonians invaded, it was judgment. They had become so prideful that they began to turn away from God and just relying on the old blessings to preserve them. And God sent his prophets time after time after time, warning them, turn from your sinful ways. 
Stop doing what you're doing. Come back to me. Get back into this house. Get back into harmony with me. Start doing what I told you to do. But we haven't got time for that. And judgment came. And the Babylonians conquered. But yet, in Judea, in Israel, the two nations were split north and south. Even though judgment had come to the other part, the remaining, oh yeah, the judgment came because, you know, they were falling away from God. But we know the true God. We serve the true God. Obviously, he's pleased with us. So he sent the Syrians. And they all got led away, captive, totally dispersed. And sorrow filled all the hearts of the Israelis. They had this song, you know, uh, in Psalms. I can't remember which one right now. So we hung our harps on the trees. And our captors asked, why are you weeping? Play us one of them songs of Israel. They said, how can we play when the temple lies in ruins? You see, they remembered back to the good days. Judgment came. They refused to repent. They refused to give heed to all of the prophets that God was sending it to them, telling them to repent, to turn back to him. We have had warning after warning after warning in the United States. We covered last time about sexual sins as the first warning sign. You know, promiscuity, that's the first warning sign, and it hit in the 60s. And it just progressively got worse to where now we don't even know which bathroom we can use. Girls can go in the men's room, men can go into the girls' room. How far has America fallen? There is no difference now between husband and wife as wife and wife or husband and husband. All are equal in our eyes. Folks, God is not pleased. And unless America turns around, judgment is coming to this land. Here, mark my words. It's not a popular message, but it is true. And you will not hear it preached in many of those large megachurches. I'm thinking of one pastor in particular. His words are so smooth. He's down in Houston, and his words are so smooth. God loves you, and he wants to bless you, and he will never do anything to hurt you. Oh, he's going to bless all the work of your hand. Now get out your pocketbook and send us a check. And I'll send you my new book that God loves you. Again, if you can put two and two together, you'll come up with four. Oh, I'm sorry, Lord, didn't want to go down that road. But if you want true revival, 
You must get pride, even American pride, pride in your country. You have to get it out of your heart. You are not an American. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That is your first and foremost responsibility is to be a kingdom of the citizen of uh, is a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and you are here as an ambassador for Christ and for that kingdom. Start acting like an ambassador for the kingdom of God. Stop acting like you're an ambassador for America. Which one would you rather be part of? The kingdom of God or the lost kingdom of America? Because it will determine your eternal destiny. And when you start acting like that, I guarantee you're going to catch flack. I know I'll probably get some letters about this teaching. But you know what? I serve the Most High God, and Him alone will I serve. I refuse to bow the knee at any political party. I refuse to bow the knee at any, any governmental employee. I refuse to bow the knee to any law that violates my Christian principles, integrity, the moral laws of Christianity. I refuse to bow. If you want to take my papers, you can send this recording to the IRS. I don't care. They can take my papers and I won't change one bit. I refuse, I refuse to obey the laws of man rather than the laws of God. And if that means they want to sue me for $200 million, so be it. Good luck getting blood from a stone. Amen? But you see, there are many, many Christians who bow their knees at the words of the government. Well, the Supreme Court said, I don't care what the Supreme Court said. That's the Supreme Court of the United States, and the United States is a country made by men. The kingdom of heaven. <laughs> I am a citizen of that kingdom, and I have the king as my blood brother. Glory to God. When you start thinking like that, that's when the devil will start hindering you. Because he wants you to conform to the world, not to the word. Amen? You see, folks, the hardest thing for me, or for that matter, any spirit-filled preacher that's preaching about revival in this day and age, is to convince people in this nation the need for revival. Amen? The hardest thing I'm challenged with is to convince lost folks they need Jesus. And that is the first priority. Amen? Most folks want to sit under preaching that makes them think that as long as they have a nice car, a good home, a good husband or wife, nice kids... They think they got everything they need. The hardest thing to do as a preacher is to convince a sinner 
a person that has not accepted the fact that they need Jesus is to convince them they need Jesus. Amen. Most sinners will try to justify their choices, try to justify their life. They'll say things like, oh, I'm not that bad. You know, I'm not really a bad person. I try to be as good as I can. And they may not be a bad person. But if you are a good person without Christ, you're still going to hell and not heaven when you die. That is a fact. And people today do not want to accept that as a fact. Not in America. Not like it was 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago in this nation. You say, but preacher, I'm a good daddy. I'm a good husband. You may be the world's greatest father. You got the ribbons to say so. But you're still going to hell. You say, well, Brother Bob, I'm a good mom to my kids. I cook, I provide for them, I clean for my family, and I work too, and I do all this. I'm a member of the PTA, and I do community work. I'm a really good person. Surely this will help get me to heaven, right? Wrong. If you are not washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are going to hell. You are not fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. If you try to get to heaven by your works, you are trying to go in by another way. And Jesus said, that is a thief and a robber. He said, I am the way. There is only one way. He is the door. And you, nobody comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. Amen. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching the word. The hardest obstacle that we are facing today is trying to get people to repent of their sins and accept Jesus as their Savior. And the obstacle, the major obstacle is pride. They don't want to admit to you that they're a sinner. They don't want to admit to you they may have been in your church for 15 years and they do not want to admit when a, the Holy Spirit has finally penetrated their heart that their whole life up to that point has been a lie. They don't want to admit that to you because they have a spirit of pride. You've heard me tell this story before that I was preaching in a church down in Texas and I had a good sermon. Oh, it was a good one. I was looking forward to the teaching that night. And I got 10 minutes into it and God, the Holy Spirit, says, shut it down, give the invitation. And I went back up and I grabbed the sides of the pulpit quietly and I'm arguing with God. I say, but God, I'm only 10 minutes in. I got another half hour to go. This is good. The people will love this teaching. And he says, shut it down and give the invitation. And I reasoned in my own head and said, okay, I could go on because I want to. And therefore, anything that happens would be my responsibility. What happened or not happened. But if God said shut it down, he's got a plan. So I shut it down, gave the invitation. I told the people, the Holy Spirit just told me to shut it down. That somebody's ready to receive his forgiveness and receive Jesus as Lord. And I gave the invitation. And from the back of the church, a deacon who had been in that church for 10 years, a deacon, came forward and admitted that he just realized he really had not been saved. And he wanted to ask Jesus into his heart for real. Now, if I'd have kept going on my own power and authority, 
the devil would have had time to work on him. And pride would have stopped him from coming forward. You see what pride does? Amen. You see, we're not willing to admit that we have a problem. Churches are not ready to admit that they have a spiritual problem. But I want you to listen to me. I'm no better than anyone else. But I've been commissioned by Jesus to say this to as many people as will listen. Wherever you are at. I'm talking about America, but this broadcast is going across the entire planet, out into the whole world. So it's just as valid for you as it is for people in America. Amen? Some people go to church, and they shout and jump up and down or run around the pews or swing from the chandeliers and do cartwheels on the floor and sing till they turn blue and then say, thank God I'm saved. But even though we do have something to rejoice about, being saved in the name of Jesus. If you walk outside your church and take a look around, look down the street, look across the street, look at people on the sidewalk on your way home, you will see a lot of people, hundreds of people just on your way home. These are people without power. These are people with no mission in life. These are people without God. These represent a nation without God a people without the touch of God in their lives. Until we see ourselves as a nation, as sheep gone astray and gone away from God, until we get rid of the spiritual pride in our churches and in this nation. I'm going to tell you something, folks. Unless we humble ourselves and get down to where the rubber meets the road, we are never going to have a taste, not even a drop of revival in America in this day and hour. I know that's harsh, and I know some of you might be mad as hell right now, but that's the way it is. Amen? Listen to me. Let's think for just a second about what revival means. Okay, that means to revive. To bring back to life. So you see a church that says, we are having revival next week. That means they admit that the people in their church are spiritually dead. And they need to bring that spark of life back into their church. But if you go to these revivals, if you've attended the church and you go to these revivals, what is the difference between the service normally on a Sunday and the revival service? Other than they might have some banners that say revival. Typically, it may be the same people that come Sunday. Usually it's less. Because people are too busy to go every night to church. I gotta cook my dinner for the babies. I gotta do laundry. Then I gotta get ready for work tomorrow. I'm too busy to give God any more time than that one hour on Sunday. They're the ones that really need to be in the church for revival. Because the people who have gone to revival are usually there just to support the pastor. 
because it would be embarrassing to them if they didn't show up at revival. So there's pride in her, the factor again. And they want the pastor to see that they are there supporting him as he does revival. So they want the pastor to see them. So that's pride again. See how pride enters into this? Very rarely, which is one of the reasons why you do not see a lot of churches holding revival, but very rarely there will be a revival that is truly a move of God. And it will continue and go and go, and people begin to hear about it. And let's say the church holds, you know, the normal attendance, let's say, is 100 people. And they do revival that first night. It's got 50. But God really showed up. And the people were touched by the Holy Spirit. And they start telling others. And some of the people at church are like, wow, okay, I guess I, I want to go check this out. Now the next night they got 75, and the night after that got 100. Next night they got 110, and then Friday night they got 180, and then Sunday they got 300. And soon the church is packed to overflow, and they got to move it down to the convention center. They don't want to stop. God's showing up every night. They don't want to stop. That's revival. But what you see in most churches, the first night, is revival. Let's say they hold it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday church service, Sunday night. They're going to close it out. Well, it might even start on Wednesday night. Okay, Wednesday night, normally they'll have a big crowd because some people will go to Wednesday night services. Thursday would be a little less. Friday, since there's no work on Saturday, that may have a few more. Sunday morning church services be normal. And then Sunday night, there may be a, you know about 70% of the normal crowd. That's not revival. That's just holding four or five days of church services. If revival hits, you won't be able to hold the number of people that want to turn out for it. Which is the main reason... If you talk to the pastor about, well, we want to do revival. Oh, well, you know, we don't want to do that. Why? Because he doesn't want to be embarrassed by the low turnout. So now you got pride working in it again. If the pastor really cared about the flock, he would hold a revival. And then those who failed to attend would be condemned by not attending revival. So there's pride entering into it again. Amen. Let me just pop your spiritual bubble one more time. If we are as spiritual as we think we are, then why should we even care about revival in our land? Bless God, some of you got Sunday school pins and awards down to your knees in the church. You haven't missed church in 20 years. Some of you go to church and sing in the choir every Sunday. Some have been in church since you came out of your mother's womb. But do you want the power of God? I guess that's the question I have for you today. Do you want the power of God? That's the question you 
need to ask yourself today, do you want the Holy Ghost power that God is offering to his people today, in this day, in this hour, in this end time revival? Do you want that? You need to honestly answer that question. Now the second hindrance to revival, wow, we got about 15 minutes left. The second hindrance to revival is bitterness. And the in the Bible in Hebrews 12 verses 14 and 15 says, "Follow peace with all men, all holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord." Looking diligently, lest any man fails of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. The root of bitterness is not large or on the surface where it can be easily detected. Rather, it's like a cancer. It does its work deep down in the marrow of your soul. Only after it has spread do symptoms surface. Bitter words, bitter thoughts, bitter deeds. Bitterness is rampant in our families. It's rampant in our society. It's even in our churches. Children bitter towards their parents. Parents bitter towards their children. The divorced are bitter toward their former spouses. Children of divorce are bitter towards their parents for divorcing. Siblings are bitter over rivalries for parental affection and inheritance. Many loving families have been destroyed by the bitterness that came from the reading of a will. One time there was this rich man that died. Had a lot of relatives that were eager to get their hands on his money. They all showed up at the reading of the will. It was the first time some of them had seen or heard from each other in years. And the lawyer read the will, and it said, Being of sound mind, I spent every dime I had. And he didn't leave his children one thin dime. He was bitter towards them that they had been bitter towards him. And they lost. But he lost too. He lost years of enjoying his family. Amen? Don't let that happen to you. You see, there's bitterness in the workplace too. Co-workers resent each other and in most cases, they resent their supervisors. There's class envy between employees and business owners. I mean, you see that on the news. Protests that they want a minimum wage of $15 an hour to cook French fries at McDonald's. Really? Do you know what the cost of a hamburger will go up to? Because the businesses have to make money. But yet, it's the entitlement generation that says, I want more and I want you to give it to me. Instead of saying, I want more, what do I have to do to advance? There's bitterness in church. People are bitter towards their pastor. Some of you listening to me right now possibly have left your church because the pastor there said it or did something you did not like. It rubbed you the wrong way and you got all up in arms about it and either tried to get rid of him by spreading false rumors or just decided to leave the church thinking it would go away. But you can be rest assured it did not go away. 
That bitterness followed you to where you're at right now and to the church you're going to right now. And there were others that you did not even consider in your actions to leave your old church. They are still hurting. They were looking to you for inspiration. Some young convert that really put his or her confidence in you and they got caught up in the tidal wave that you created by leaving. Now, I know some of you may be asking, well, what should I do, Brother Bob? What should I do? Okay, well, I'll cover that base in just a moment. Sadly, there are many pastors who are bitter towards their church members. What? Yeah, it's true. They were maybe good people that you had confidence in, and they turned on you for whatever reason. And you're still carrying a grudge. But you feel like it wasn't your fault, so you just let go instead of dealing with it because of the hard feelings that might arise. And bitter pastors, I guarantee you, make bitter churches. Amen. Bitterness between Christians over hurtful words, deeds, or attitudes are deadening and dividing churches. Worst of all, some are bitter towards God. Bitter towards His Word and His church. Bitterness will come out. Every cancer eventually manifests itself. And revival will never come to the people of God until they confess their bitterness. Let's look for just a moment at what I call the course of bitterness. Do you suffer from a root of bitterness? Let's take this test today. Do you have these symptoms, the 10 warning signs of bitterness? Now, be honest with yourself. Nobody's going to report you, okay? But when a first, let's take it like, when a person who has offended you in the past walks into a room, how do you respond? Do negative feelings immediately overcome you, causing you to put on that hypocritical happy face? Oh, hi, how are you? Do you intentionally turn away and ignore them? Does the mere mention of their name leave quote-unquote, a bitter taste in your mouth? Does thinking about them make you sick or give you a bitter stomach? Do you have a similar negative reaction when you just hear their name mentioned? Do you resent his or her success? Hearing any good report about him or her cause bitterness in your heart? Do you secretly desire misfortune or failure for that person? Or worse, does the person who offended or hurt you come to mind very often? Do you mentally argue with them? In other words, dream or daydream about putting them in their place. Do you feel the need or do you have a tendency to talk to others about that person's failures or shortcomings of those who have offended or hurt you? If you have any of these symptoms, you have at a minimum... The root of bitterness. Has that someone said or done something that offended you? Did you fail to deal with it scripturally? Now here's where we're going to get the answer to what should be done as we get ready to close to get rid of this bitterness. And it means swallowing your pride 
Amen. You knew it was going to come back to that. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 17, we read, Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against you, go and tell him his fault you between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained back your brother. But if he doesn't want to listen to you, then take with you one or two more. Then in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he neglects to hear them, tell it to the church. And if he neglects to listen to the church, let him be unto you as a heathen and a publican. Did bitterness take root? Did someone earn or were they given something that you wanted or felt that you deserved? Were they selected as Christian of the year by your church and you thought you deserved it because of your work on such and such committee? Did you allow a bitter seed to germinate in your soul and spirit? Is it affecting you physically? I mean, other things can cause these symptoms, but like high blood pressure, insomnia, indigestion. Is your home suffering because of that bitterness? Are others defiled because of you? Are your children infected? Could that be where their bitterness and rebellions come from? Do you reap what you sow? Bitter pastors make bitter people. Have you unintentionally contaminated others with this insidious spiritual disease? Brethren, do not err in this, Scripture says. When bitterness takes root, many are defiled. Hearts, homes, churches have been destroyed. We need a cure for bitterness. The Bible gives us the cure. There are many church members who have ought against their brothers, Scripture says. Some even have bitterness towards a former pastor. And if we're going to have revival in America, if we're going to have revival in our churches, some of you are going to have to swallow your pride and go to that person's or person's or that pastor or brother and get it right with them before revival will come. The reason we cannot get revived in America is because some of us are going to let pride stop us from going to those that we are bitter against and make it right. But the cure for bitterness is this. First, consider yourself. Psalms 129, verses 23 and 24 reads, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. As one great preacher once said, No doubt the problem is with you. <laughs> Amen. Either you've been wrong in word, thought, or deed, or you've been wrong in your reaction towards those who've offended you. Have you asked God to search you and cleanse you from the sin of bitterness? If we would judge ourselves, we would not judge others. Amen. Next is to confess. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If the doctor told you that a benign-looking little mole on your arm was actually cancer, the most violent form of skin cancer, and that it can spread to your liver, lungs, or brains, would you say, oh, it's all right, just let it go? Or would you want to have it cut out immediately while you're sitting there in the office? Why then would you let a little root of bitterness remain in your spirit? 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. Next is to confront. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. We've covered that. After you've considered yourself and after you've confessed your sin, then and only then confront with compassion and Christ-likeness 
those who have offended you. Tell him his fault privately. Many Christians have never realized they have wronged someone else. Have you ever hurt someone and not known it? I have. Give them the benefit of the doubt. It's the Christian thing to do. A sincere Christian, a good man, is a reasonable man, will be quick and make things right. I've had people bring it to me. When you said this and this, it hurt me. I apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. I did not know that. And I apologize to them. And from that point out, we're good. Next is comfort yourself. If it's possible, as much as is in you, live peaceably with all men. Romans 12, 18. Matthews 18, 50. Remember it says, if he shall hear you. Some people don't want to repent. If they don't do... Let me try that again. If they do not do right, then they are wrong. Amen? However, if you've done all that you should do, then you can comfort yourself in the fact that you've done what's right. There's nothing more you can do, so don't worry about it. Forgive them, and that person's problem is no longer yours. Next is Christ-likeness. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32 Forgive to receive forgiveness. Forgive like Christ would forgive. Love like Christ would love. Walk like Christ would walk. Talk like Christ would talk. Would Christ harbor a root of uh, bitterness? No. Then why do you? Are you a Christian? A little Christ? Well, may God purge any root of bitterness out of our life. Amen. And real quick, the third hindrance in the, to the cause of revival is prayerlessness. If we are to have a real touch of revival, we must pray and ask the Lord to visit us and to reveal himself to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Most people in church are dependent on the preacher to do all the praying. We're hoping that the evangelist will intercede for us. We're too busy to recite a little prayer on our way out the door that will be all we will say to God that entire day. I'm telling you now that until we get back to praying the old-time power of God down, the kind of praying that in faith moves mountains out of the way, these short little prayers we say are not going to be enough to have an old-fashioned revival in America. Until we let God do that which we can't, we will never have a touch of revival in this nation. Amen? We have the overcoming power of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Would you be free from your burden of sin? There's power in the blood. Amen. We can overcome the power of the devil through anything. So I want to ask you right now, if I stepped on your spiritual toes today, good. It was meant to be that way. Folks, we are on the very edge of eternity right now. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, now is the time to do so. Just say, Father, in Jesus' name, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Forgive me of all my sins. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. And I thank you for it. Amen. Be blessed in all you do. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. 
Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.